Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Greetings in Jesus' name. Today we will continue our study moving from Passover to Pentecost, and we will be focusing on the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, his enthronement to the right hand of the Father from Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. Perhaps the most famous monarch in modern age is that of Queen Elizabeth II of England. In 1937, the 11-year-old Princess Elizabeth had watched her father, King George VI, crowned in the elaborate ceremony. And 16 years later, on June 2, 1953, her own official coronation was to take place. Coronations have been held at Westminster Abbey for 900 years, and the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II was to follow suit. The most memorable photos of the Queen are those taken by Cecil Beaton. For his defining image, he posed the Queen in front of a backdrop depicting Henry VII's chapel in Westminster Abbey. I would encourage you to take a look at that picture and to perhaps watch some of the footage of that coronation. But all of this glory and all of this majesty and all of this royalty is captured in the orb, the scepter, the crown, and her garments. The surrounding or the setting creates the glory. It creates this majesty. It creates this royalty. But there is one who sits on a throne whose very nature is royal, is glorious, is majestic. And today in our study, we will consider him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people in this place. Help us, Father, around your word to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Help us to connect these dots. And may we see an enthroned Christ. May we see a sovereign, a king who rules and reigns over everything. Father, fill us with hope. Push us forward in visually and verbally declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ is indeed alive. So guide us in these moments. May we use them well for your glory and our good. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at the ascension of Christ as it's found in Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. We need to remember that it is 40 days after Passover. Passover is the beginning of their calendar. And then 10 days after the ascension, you have the event of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The ascension of Jesus is one of the accepted doctrines of Christianity. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed all confess that Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. When you look at the ascension narrative in the four Gospels, it only occurs in Luke. Luke speaks of it and he does this in Luke 24 and then in Acts chapter 1. The other three Gospels do not record it. This forces us to consider the ascension and the other New Testament documents. Thus, the study itself is topical as it focuses on our Lord's ascension to the throne of God. But let's begin by looking at Luke 24, verses 50 through 53. I will read it. It says in verse 50 of Luke 24, And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's the ascension, the enthronement. 
And they, the disciples, worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. There are four things that I want us to simply note in these, this short paragraph. First of all, it says he led them out. We know that the disciples at this time are still following him. Then it says he blessed them. He lifted his hands and he blessed them. He was still caring for them. He was their shepherd and they were his sheep. And then verse 51 says he parted from them. He left completing the mission and we'll see that in this study. And then finally, he was worshipped by them in verses 52 and 53. They were still worshipping him. You have the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. All dominion has been given to me. And on the day of Pentecost, the promise of future power is now descending upon them in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But it is in his ascension, his enthronement, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he receives this authority and he gives this power. And that's what we are considering in our passage. In our Lord's ascension, his kingship is established by his placement at the right hand of the Father. The one who is declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead now sits enthroned at his Father's right hand. There are seven qualities or markers that identify this ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ unto the throne of God. And I am wanting to, in this study, consider each of the seven for our joy. The first marker is noted in John chapter 17, verses 3 through 5, in our Lord's high priestly prayer. But in his enthronement, in the ascension, he radiates royalty in his conquest. He radiates glory. He radiates majesty. In John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus says to his father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, verse 11 of chapter 4 reads as follows, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. If we go back to that coronation day for Queen Elizabeth II, she holds an orb, a scepter, a crown. She is clothed with majestic garments. She's in a setting of glory. But all that is imputed glory. It's given to an earthly king. But all of this is eclipsed by the intrinsic glory of the Son of God. In his ascension, in his enthronement, when he is placed at the right hand of the Father, he radiates royalty, he radiates glory, he radiates majesty. This is the one who now sits on the throne. The second marker is that in his enthronement, in his ascension, he receives authority from the ancient of days. I'm wanting us to read Daniel 7. I'm going to begin in verse 12. Because it shows us how the Son of God, the Son of Man, in his enthronement, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, receives authority from the Ancient of Days. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 12, it reads, As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion, their authority was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking, this is Daniel speaking, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to the son of man, was given this dominion, this authority, glory, and a kingdom 
that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion, his authority, his kingdom is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Verse 26, but the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions, all the kingdoms, all the authorities will serve and obey him in the enthronement, in the ascension of Jesus. He receives authority from the ancient of days. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, we read that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In the enthronement of Jesus, not only does he radiate royalty, but he receives authority from the ancient of days. Right now, the one who sits on the throne at the right hand of God the Father has the right, has the authority to do all he wills. We see that in his enthronement, in his ascension. So we know that the one who sits at the throne radiates royalty. In his presence, we see the glory. It's intrinsic to his being. He receives the authority from the ancient of days. He has the right as a king. Thirdly, the third mark or the third quality is that in his enthronement, he sits victoriously over sin and death. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 reads as follows, And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ sits victoriously over sin and death. The work that he set out to do, he has finished. So as we consider these markers, these qualities, these things which identify his ascension, his enthronement, where he currently sits on a throne at the right hand of God the Father, we know that he radiates royalty in his conquest. He receives authority from the ancient of days. He sits victoriously over sin and death. Now the fourth marker, that fourth quality that identifies his enthronement, his ascension, is that he accomplishes completely the mission before him. John chapter 19, verse 30 says, It is finished. All that was promised has come to pass. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the seed promise. He has completed the blood picture. He accomplishes completely the mission before him. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts tell us this continuing story, how the Gospel is advancing, how the kingdom of God is coming forward and being completed. Everything that God said would come to pass, has come to pass, and shall come to pass. Nothing God has promised will fail to be completed. This is the enthronement. This is the ascension of Jesus Christ. He accomplishes completely the mission before him. The fifth marker, the fifth quality, the fifth identifier of this enthronement, of this ascension is that he intercedes mercifully for his people. The one who sits upon the throne, a throne of grace, is interceding in our behalf, and he gives to us mercy, and we find grace 
to help in our time of need. Let me read for us Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and following. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this mediator, this intercessor, this advocate who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest, a mediator, a intercessor, an advocate who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, because of who he is and because of what he has done, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that for this purpose we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter when we are living, we are in a time of need. Right now, things seem highly uncertain and agitated. And yet it is during this time that we can appeal to our intercessor who intercedes mercifully for his people. We can approach him. We can come to him. And that throne that upon which he sits is a throne of grace. And we will find mercy and we will find grace to help in our time of need. That's the one who sits enthroned. That's the one who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He radiates royalty. He receives authority. He sits victoriously. He accomplishes completely. And now he intercedes mercifully for his people. This is Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 reads as follows. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sin, we have an advocate, an intercessor, a great high priest with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the entire world. These are the qualities. These are the markers. These are the identifiers of the one who sits on this throne. The sixth marker, the sixth qualifier, that thing which identifies the one who sits on that throne is that in his enthronement, he gives lavishly to his church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Let me read what we have here in our text. But what's interesting about our Ephesians 4 passage in verses 7 through 12 is that you have this idea of lavishness, of exceeding, of immeasurable. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, you read, and what is the exceeding greatness? And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, you read, we read the exceeding riches in chapter 3, verse 19, that which surpasses or passes knowledge. And in all three verses, you have a Greek word, hyperbole. It's the same word we've transliterated it into our English language, hyperbole. It's to exceed or to go beyond. When God gifts, when he gives, he gives lavishly to his church. What's interesting about the passage, and let me read it for us in Ephesians 4, 7 through 11. It reads, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, who He who ascended... What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. What's interesting about the Ephesians 4, 8 passage is that it's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. 
Listen to how Psalm 68, 18 reads. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Psalm 68, 18 says that God has received gifts among men. Ephesians 4, 8 says that he has given gifts to men. What does God give to us? He gives to us two things. First of all, he gives to us the Holy Spirit. That is the gift. And then he gives to us gifted people for the work. That's what our text tells us. What God has done, he does in a lavish fashion. And what Jesus received, as we read in Psalm 68, 18, what he receives through his victory, he now gives to his church, Ephesians 4, 8. The one who sits enthroned, the one who has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He gives lavishly to his church the spoils of that victory. We have the Holy Spirit. We have gifted people in the context of the local church moving the mission forward, declaring openly into everyone, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is alive. So what is our seventh marker? We know that the one who ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father radiates royalty. He receives authority. He sits victoriously. He accomplishes completely. He intercedes mercifully. He gives lavishly. And our final marker is that he waits patiently. He waits patiently for the final act. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 23 through 28 tells us that there is still more to come. Let it be read for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Although he sits victoriously and receives authority and accomplishes completely, there is still more to come. We wait as does he, for the Father to send him forth and to thoroughly straighten all that is crooked. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 8 and following reads as follows. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed, while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until, until a time of reformation. That word reformation is a compound word. It means to thoroughly straighten. Everything that currently exists is crooked. Sin has made it crooked. But one is coming who will thoroughly straighten all that is crooked. Verse 11 of Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared... As a high priest, one who intercedes mercifully of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. 
He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. My friends, a day is coming, a day is coming when the Son will receive from his Father the commission to remake heaven and earth and restore everything to its original design. But until then, he waits patiently. Our Lord is sitting, but the day is coming when he will stand, not just to receive his people, but to recreate and merge the heavens and this earth into one. This is the day when he will thoroughly straighten all that is crooked. The ascended, the enthroned Jesus continues to care for his followers as his mission moves forward. And the story of God continues to Pentecost and through Pentecost to the nations. This is where you and I currently exist. But we are rushing toward his eminent return. So as we consider the ascension of Jesus, his enthronement at the Father's right hand, what do we do with this? Well, first, he has conquered sin and death. He has done exactly what he set out to do. It is finished. He has completed the seed promise, fulfilled the blood picture. Jesus Christ has defeated our worst enemy, and he is our best friend. Secondly, right now Jesus Christ sits at his Father's right hand and is carrying out the mission of God through his church in the fulfillment of the vision of God for his church. And finally, as we will see in the book of Acts, he has given us the Holy Spirit. There is nothing his people lack. Everything they need, they have in God. The Holy Spirit is right now working in you and through you the very things he desires for you. God cares for you, and he is worthy of being followed and worshipped. When Queen Elizabeth ascended to the throne in England, BBC coverage of the coronation was a breakthrough for the history of broadcasting. It was the first service to be televised, and for most people, it was the first time they had watched an event on television. 27 million people in the UK out of the 36 million population watched the ceremony on television, and 11 million listened to it on the radio. There were more than 2,000 journalists and 500 photographers from 92 nations on the coronation route, and just under 30,000 men took part in the processional. That thing was majestic. That thing was glorious. That thing was royalty. But that was only a shadow. The day is quickly approaching when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Revelation tells us that even now there are myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands of angelic beings and worshipers from every tongue, tribe, nation, confessing and bowing before the one who alone is worthy. This is our Jesus. Thus, let us not lose heart. Let us live in hope and continue to do what the church is uniquely positioned to do. Tell everyone everywhere that Jesus is King. Friends, we worship and sit at the feet of an enthroned Christ.
He sits interceding mercifully for each one of us. And it is on that throne, a throne of grace, where we find mercy and help in our time of need. So let us not lose heart. Let us be filled with hope as we push the mission forward. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study the text of Scripture. Now may the Spirit of God take the Word of God and open our eyes to its truths. And may we live in the reality of what is true. May we see and hear the one enthroned. Thank you, Father, for these moments as your people. May we use them well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.